0: Good morning, saints. Good morning. Good morning, sinners. I see who's packed the house today. Beloved Matthew 5 1 says that Jesus went up onto the mountain. And in Matthew 8 1, it says that Jesus came down the mountain. Sandwiched between five and eight. These two verses are three chapters of Matthew's gospel, which comprise what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's here, Matthew pours in the majority of Jesus' teaching in this particular gospel. So who is Jesus teaching in this Sermon on the Mount? Well, first and foremost, he's teaching his growing circle of disciples and followers. The apostles have not been named yet. That happens in chapter 10. But there are people that are hearing his words and are beginning to fall in line and want to be his student. Now, we're also told that vast crowds were coming up and visiting and hanging out with them as well, listening to what Jesus had to say. Now, also sudden, subtly, in chapter 5, Matthew goes and he changes the voice in the way he writes. And Matthew moves from using um, third person language. Begin to speak in the second person plural. You know, y'all. And when Matthew does that subtle shift, Matthew thereby opens the door and is inviting you and me to enter into that story and trapes up the hill with Jesus, the disciples, and the others. We are invited to go and listen to the sermon. Matthew 5.1 declares, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he taught them. Blessed are the poor spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And he follows with the Beatitudes. So, as such, as you and I go up that hillside, we, as we climb up that hillside that Matthew has invited us into the story to do, as we go up that hillside, we have a choice, beloved. Where are we going to sit Where are we going to sit up there? On the one hand, we can sit up close to Jesus in order to hear him loud and clear. We can sit with the disciples because we have made note in our mind, this is the way. Or on the other hand, we can go hang out with the anonymous crowds thronging about and and waiting to see something happen. You know, the looky-loos. One group is comprised of earnest listeners and followers. The other group, the second group, is just full of observers. You know, the peanut gallery. Members of this church. Where do you choose to sit on that hillside? Are you sitting with the disciples up close? Or are you milling around watching and listening from a distance? Frankly, it determines where you sit determines how you hear today's story. We are picking up immediately after the Beatitudes, or as Dale Bruner calls them, the Blessed R's. And today we move from the Blessed R's and dive right into the You R's. Hear the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter five, beginning with verse thirteen, extending to twenty. Listen. Jesus is speaking. You are the very salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the very light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, 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 I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one little dash of a letter will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless you, church, you, disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. This morning's text is written for those of us who have chosen consciously to sit at Jesus' feet as disciples, as Christ followers. This is not to say that those who are milling around on the outside, who are sitting apart and just watching and wandering and wondering, can't change their seats and move closer and join the disciples' circle, but his words today in Matthew are directed to those of us very emphatically, very imperatively, to those of us who are disciples. His followers. Our story, our text today provides three characteristics of a Christ follower, three characteristics of a disciple. First, followers, the first characteristic of a disciple is that followers of Jesus are commissioned, ordained into service. Not some, not one, but all followers of Jesus, all disciples are commissioned into service. Now, we're very familiar with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, says, listen, disciples, I want you to go and make other disciples. I want you to go and baptize In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I want you to teach them about me and the kingdom of God. But today, friends, is Matthew's first commissioning. The one in Matthew 28 is the second. And we oftentimes miss this first commissioning. You see... The force of the way this text is written in its original language is emphatic, it's imperative, it's direct, it's surgical. You are the very salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. It doesn't say "Mm, you ought to be the salt of the earth or you ought to be light of the world. It doesn't say you should be the salt of the earth, or you should be the light of the world. And neither does it say, you know, friends, you could be the salt of the earth, or you could be the light of the world. No, Jesus is very surgical. He tells the disciples, you are the very salt, the very light in the world. Jesus isn't asking us to be those things. Jesus is emphatically declaring we are to be salt. We are to be light. All of us are commissioned. This is what you and I signed up for when we said, Jesus, I believe. This is what you and I signed up for when we called ourselves Christian. It is not should, ought, or could It is, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Beloved, the first characteristic of a Christ follower, a disciple, is that we live into the commissioning that we have been ordained with by Jesus. Jesus doesn't ask us to stay on the mountaintop eating bonbons and listening to great speaker speakers at the Chautauqua. Jesus is commissioning, sending, telling us to go, do something. Second characteristic of a Christ follower, a disciple is that we're not only commissioned to go, but we actually fully live into who we are as followers of Jesus. In other words, disciples are called to be salty lighthouses. We're called to be salty lighthouses. In antiquity, salt was used as a preservative, It was used for fertilizing soil. It was used in cultic sacrifices. It was used in covenant-making rituals. It was used in cleansing. It was used in signifying loyalty oaths to another. But I think regardless of all of those purposes of salt, I think Jesus is just trying to get us to remember the most obvious and basic one. Jesus is trying to hammer home the salt adds flavor to the food we eat. As one person wrote, salt brightens, sharpens the other flavors that are already present in the food. It has a way of pulling them out. This past week, I was invited to have dinner at John and Melissa Rabino's, And for those of you who don't know, John is a chef and a mighty good one. They provided me gracious hospitality. We had a wonderful dessert. We had paella that John made right there. A roasted chicken that he had smoked on the grill. I mean, it was, oh. And then... On the end of the table was this big platter, dessert, and it was these huge chocolate chip cookies, about round as a softball and maybe about an inch thick. It was a whole plate of them, and I was going, "Yeah, the pie is great. This chicken's great. Give me the cookies." <laughs> you know, it's. I've been on this diet for months now. I haven't had sweets in months. But as a guest in their home, what was I supposed to do? (laughs) I mean, say no? That would just be rude. So, dinner was done. I'd already measured the distance to the plate without even looking yes yes wonderful yes let's talk some more I pulled out a cookie it oh it was so good it was so good I I I feel like I was lifted like Paul into the third heaven and as we talked we were having after-dinner talk we were visiting and it was lovely and I was thinking Dad, come, that cookie was good. And so again, I kind of reach over nonchalantly. <laughs> I pull out another softball size chocolate chip cookie. And as they were talking, i take a bite. Mmm, mmm, yes, mmm, mmm. Uh. And then the tryptophan hit with the chocolate. I started getting tired, and I said, well, listen, I need to go. And so they packed this baggie full of four of these softball cookies. Oh, I can't. I ins- no, I can't do that. You insist, OK. <laughs> and so I, I, I get in the car, and I'm so grateful. I thank them for a lovely evening, and as I, I hadn't gone 300 yards when I pulled a third one out of the baggie and quaffed it down. Boom! And then I got to thinking to myself, before I grabbed the fourth one, what is it about these cookies? They're incredible. Why do I keep reaching for more? I can't stop. And after I ate that third cookie, I realized why I couldn't stop. John, being the chef that he is, added just the right amount of salt to those cookies that hit the palate as you took a bite. Ah. And you know what happens when you eat salt. You want more salt. The salt was driving me to consume more. Yet, Too much salt can be a problem. You add too much salt to your food and it will cause it to taste horrible. That was not John's problem that night. It was perfect. The purpose of salt is to enhance the flavor, to pull the flavors and taste out, not to make what we eat foul. Christ followers, disciples, are told to be salt of the earth. A disciple's flavor in the world should enhance the life of others around us, our other places, other organizations. Our lives as salt should tease out the flavor of what it means to love the Christ. Why? So that they can come and join the disciple circle and give glory to God. A char- characteristic of a disciple is that as salt we brighten and sharpen the flavors of other people, places, and organizations. The quality of our lives. Should taste just like Robino's cookies. They should cause others to yearn, to long for more of the flavor you and I give to their life. Sadly, though, too many Christian disciples follow the tenet that if a little salt is good, then a lot is even better some christians smother others with overdoing it with the salt they smother others with a little too much jesus when we judge people and condemn people from that are different from who we are whether they're different spiritually politically socially ethnically or sexually Oversalting is evident in gross displays, brothers and sisters, in false piety or wrapping Christianity up in the flag. If people are leaving the church today, capital C, my guess it is oftentimes either because there is not enough salty flavor in you and me, brothers and sisters, to make our faith appealing and desirable, Or there is too much salt that makes Jesus distasteful and inedible. But we are also to be lights in the world. Again, Jesus doesn't say we ought to be lights or should be lights or could be lights. He says you are the light of the world. Collectively, discipleship means we are a singular lamp of love and grace of God expressed in Jesus, who is the the light of the world. We're not lights of the world. We are a singular light of Christ in the world. The right amount of light unveils shadows. Once the light is lit, it's placed in a prominent spot so we can find our way around the room. But like salt, too much light can be blinding. Light has to be either directed or either muted or intensified based on the conditions at hand. If people encounter you and me and they shield our eyes, it's probably because we're shining a bit too brightly. We need to dim it back. And you know what I'm talking about. It's because we are shining our own light, our own stuff, and not the light of Jesus. Finally, a characteristic of a disciple is that we are called to live a righteous life. A righteous life. Too often we equate being righteous with being morally perfect or overly religious, and that's not it at all, brothers and sisters. Being righteous simply means that we live into our salty lighthousedness, we live lives that are distinctly different has different flavor from the rest of the world and the culture around us. A righteous life is one that gives a sweet flavor to the world of a very graceful, compassionate Jesus and help people find their way, their hope, their security and safety. A righteous life is when we shine the light of Jesus And help people find their way. Righteousness is anything, friends. Anything that helps others see Jesus in you and me. Church. Today. Jesus commissions all of us. All y'all. All All y'all are the salt of the earth. All y'all are a light on a hill. You're the light of the world. In order to give brightness and flavor, to become a warm, inviting light so others can experience what you and I already have, and that is the life-giving love of God in Jesus Christ. We can't do it on our own. That's why we have this meal to help us along. My friends, this is the Lord's table. It is not a Presbyterian table. Any and all who profess Jesus and sit at his feet, this table is for you. If you don't have a cup with the elements, please raise your hand and a usher will bring you some. Pray with me. Holy Spirit of God, as we gather this day, we give you thanks and praise that you have commissioned us to be light, to be the salt of the world. Lord, through this meal may we flavor others with grace, the grace of Jesus. We pray, O Lord, that as we go this day through the strength of this simple meal, we would flavor the world with grace we would shine light where there's darkness and hopelessness so that others might stumble headlong into your arms. Lord, as we break this bread, drink this cup, Lord, we thank you that you lift us up into the very presence of Jesus and all the saints who have gone before us. Lord, that we dine with those who have died and rest from their labors along with Jesus at the heavenly banquet table. Oh, Lord, feed us by your hand. Now separate this, these elements from their everyday use and may they be for us the body and blood of Christ and all of God's people said. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his friends and they were anxious and upset He was trying to calm him down. He said, Beloved, I go and I prepare a place for you. In my daddy's house, there are many, many rooms. And I go personally to prepare a place for you so that I may come and take you to be with me where I am. And then he takes the bread. And he says, Beloved, this is my body which is for you, take and eat all of it in remembrance of me. And in a similar way, after dinner, he took the cup of the covenant, and he said, I'm going to redefine this covenant. This is a new covenant I seal with my own blood. It's a new promise between God and all people. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that as often as we eat of this bread and drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's life, death, and resurrection until he comes again. My friends, I invite you now to take the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ for you.